0: This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash artscouncilengland. Well, good morning. Um, It's great to see so many people here in the room. And having had a look at the list of who you are and where you come from, I think for... um, Anyone to feel that the expertise is on the stage, actually, the expertise is very much the, on the floor of the, of the room as well. Um, in addition to uh, being the director of the Paul Hamlin Foundation, uh, I'm also a trustee of two arts organisations, one very large, the Museum of London, and one very, very small, a tiny little arts organisation called Fruitvox. And so, as a volunteer, I spend a lot of my time involved with fundraising, though the day job is on the funding side. Well I've been asked to talk about making the case for giving to the arts and really to look at five areas. Um what are the challenges or opportunities facing the arts in the new environment of philanthropy? Um to talk about expectation setting for your organisation, to touch on some of the su- successful approaches to private giving and also creating an added value proposition and finally testing the robustness of your case. Oh, and just one other little point, there are a couple of people standing at the back. If you want seats, there are seats at the front, so please um, come down if you'd prefer to sit rather than stand for the next 20 minutes. So I'm going to go through these five topics. Some of the challenges facing the arts sector. The figures uh, I've got in this presentation aren't all necessarily consistent in terms of the year, and um, there's plenty of research on how accurate these figures are. Broadly, people think there's about 10 billion pounds a year of total individual giving in the UK, and of that amount, and this second figure is from the Arts and Business Research and Philip Beddings here this afternoon, who I think actually would be able to give a very good answer on that naming rights, because he would understand that very well. I think the individual giving to the arts is about 4% of that 10 billion, sort of between 3 and 400 million. So... That's a lot, in one way, ten billion. Arts getting four hundred million of that. But overall giving trends are static, and I'm going to come on to a graph on that. Well, in fact, I can probably do that right now. That was my giving pie. Sorry, right, there's a bit of a delay on this. Ah, well, that screwed it up. So overall giving trends are static and there it is. (laughs) So the lower line shows donations as a percentage of expenditure. Uh, The vertical axis is a quarter percents. So as a percentage of total expenditure running from the 1970s right through to pretty recently, the low blue line shows the percentage of expenditure. And it's raising from about 0.25 of a percent up towards about 0.5 of a percent. The top line shows the donations as a percentage of expenditure amongst givers, so amongst people who give. And it's risen from about one towards two, tailed off in the 90s, and has been rising a little since. So it is fairly static at present giving trends. And there are current com- competition from other charity sectors and there's the giving pie this is what gets the money and you can see the arts and culture dark blue towards the right you know it's getting about the same as chest and heart as one subsector of giving towards medical causes and uh, as we all know animals are very popular here so there's a bright blue uh, piece of pie which is pretty pretty chunky and amongst subsectors the arts really only command about 1% of donors so that's where we're starting from and i have to say i think the final challenge is you know is low economic confidence around at present um, this is a difficult time so what are the opportunities coming from that sorry there'll be a time delay on the um, click onto the next slide I think there are some great opportunities in philanthropy generally, and some specifically for the arts. I think um, there are opportunities around older donors and women donors. Those are both important areas where there's potential for growth. There's also, as in all aspects of our lives, changes in technology in philanthropy, particularly, I think the use of social media. I want to draw a distinction between technology and crowd, sort of crowdsource funding because I think some aspects of technology will be good for all arts organisations which are fundraising, but crowdsourcing probably isn't necessarily the right technique for organisations who already know their audiences. I mean, if you're already in touch with people, then Facebook may be a great way of deepening your relationship with them. But if you've got that access to your audience, you know bits of information about them, then putting yourself up on a crowdsource platform run by somebody else may not be uh, the way to go for you because you need to retain that relationship. But if you're first time out fundraising, you think you've got an exciting idea, you may be able to put yourself on a crowdsource fundraising platform and attract donations. I'm sorry that this slide hasn't clicked through. Um donor networks, donor advisory services. There's a industry, uh, a business. It's been there, but it's certainly growing. There are more intermediaries around. So I think it's moving into a more prominent role philanthropy. The growth of localism, I mean the secular state for cultures ideas around philanthropy, um And actually, they spill much more widely than than the areas of responsibility of DCMS. Uh, I think he used the Secretary of State for Philanthropy as well as the Secretary of State for Culture. They chime these uh, ideas around with the increasing um, understanding that the current government wishes to promote localism in all aspects of public policy. So I think there's going to be a much more sense of we, in our community, we're taking responsibility we need to engage with the institutions that build our community. And I think arts organisations could find that serves the development of their philanthropic income very well. There's increasing amounts of information. Until about three or four years ago, there was no proper research centre around uh, philanthropy. And then there are two now. So the quality of information that's available about philanthropy is improving. And I made at the end of my suggestion um, a couple of references for further reading and then it is the context of the national policy that we heard about from Veronica and there are some tax changes though there's still more that could be done on that so those were the opportunities in philanthropy generally but I'd like to touch on some opportunities in arts philanthropy As I say, I think it's underdeveloped broadly at present amongst individual giving. We're talking about small numbers of major donors. And the public at large, I don't think, really sees the arts as charitable. And sometimes that's because the arts sector hasn't always wanted to align itself with the charitable sector. But I do think through the advocacy role of the Arts Council, which is itself a charity, there are opportunities to reinforce the public benefit that the arts deliver and located in that charitable sector. Though there's a noted caution there, I don't believe people will support the arts. If you go and rattle a tin in a street and say money for the arts, that, that isn't going to be successful. But other charitable sectors can do that. They can say like money for disabled children and you know, people will just give and they understand the proposition. Where I think people will give is it's because we're doing this. With this organisation providing this sort of output, this is us. So I think it needs to be a much more personalised message to succeed within the arts. Eighty percent of individual arts donations go to major organisations or London-based organisations. Now you could see that in two ways. My my glass is always half full in life, uh, perhaps a little fuller sometimes. But I do believe that this represents an opportunity for smaller and medium-sized organisations, and I'm going to touch on the question about trusts and foundations at the end of my presentation, (coughs) and for organisations outside London. I do think that this is an area of potential growth. The arts are particularly popular, I think, with older and wealthier people, and those are amongst those who've got the capacity to give. We've got great leadership from government, from DCMS, from the Arts Council, and in the long term, I think there's a really exciting proposition around legacies which could link into endowments, that is very much long-term fundraising. Just a summary really on the growing the pie, the numbers. I mean, that is research again coming out of arts and business. More people attend the arts than give philanthropically to the entire voluntary sector. So the potential for the arts is not necessarily attracting a greater slice of the existing pie, but turning more individuals who engage with and love the arts into supporters. So I think there's a great, great starting point there. I'll move on to the second stage uh, of what I want to say: um, expectation setting. And a number of you are uh, professional fundraisers, having looked at the list of delegates here, and others have uh, broader roles. But in any case, I think the message has got to be to your expectation that you've got to take a strategic approach to be successful in fundraising, and not an opportunistic one. It's got to be properly planned and integrated alongside other business functions. And then there's a huge difference in the time frame. I mentioned legacies, that's a very long-term thing, but you could move into setting up a friend scheme if you didn't have one, and quite quickly generate a return from that. There are different rates of returns as well. Um, these figures are very, very difficult, but about 10 to 20% is the full economic cost of fundraising, and uh, that's a blended average across different types of fundraising uh, for a mature operation. Now, I, I, I wouldn't place a huge reliance on that because it does depend upon so many factors, but that's a, a broad average. But it does therefore need to be properly resourced, and it certainly needs to be sustained over time, and you can't always guarantee that the income will be uh, equally um, Received, It can vary in time. And the other expectation setting thing, and I'm glad that the capacity building fund, as I understand it, will address this, um, is that it isn't the only game in town. I mean, it's a really important, I think, opportunity. But for some organisations, there may be other ways of generating income that are going to be more uh, rewarding for you looking at the intellectual property, merchandising, other forms of income-generating activity that may actually suit you better or alongside your fundraising. What works? Well, I don't think this works. Just assuming that you're very important is not going to get people to part with their money. Sorry, it should click through. I may pop over twice now. Yep. Well, it's really about getting engaged donors to do more. Have you ways for people to be genuinely involved? So examples would be building on their relationship as an audience member. What about sort of special talks, the opportunity to have a presentation about your future program? sense that they actually have an involvement with your organization it's also as we know an, an emotional act are they the donors potential donors really inspired by your stories and people back talent and aspiration this is where I think the arts have got such a fantastic opportunity around fundraising of which there is of course already a lot but can you really personalize the case and that means and we'll come on to this in a little while You've really got to have people around you uh, who are absolutely passionate about fundraising. And I know plenty of people who are passionate, great artistic leaders. They're not actually passionate about fundraising. And I think that's something that, within your organisation, it may take time to try and change that culture. And people give in different ways. So if you're looking across the range of what you do, there may be different types of product, different ways of engaging in your organisation that you need to make available. I've talked about the passion, but I don't want to lose sight of the, the social case too. Um, and this is a quote from Philip de Shaw, who'll be known, I think, to many in the room. I mean, this I think is also at the heart of what the arts are doing. And so for some givers, it will be about their personal love for the art form. For others, they will also be motivated by what the arts are doing within communities, how they affect people more broadly. Um, But I think this is where you will need to understand the motivations of the individuals whom you're approaching. But it certainly isn't only about the individual's love for the art, for the person, for the project. It is also about, for some, what the arts do more widely. (coughs) Testing your robustness. I think I've touched on this briefly, but you've really got to be clear and confident and passionate and have a narrative about what you're doing that is very compelling. The organisational buy-in, and really to establish that culture of asking, I thought it was put very well at the start. I mean, the Arts Council's (coughs) job is to try and encourage a culture of giving, and at a national level, that's what others are doing, but within your organisation, it's about a culture of asking, that's what's going to get money in needs to be sufficient investment in this. I mean you've got to look at the costs of what you're going to do and make sure you can robust uh, resource this. And it's fantastic that the Catalyst scheme is here to help. The trustee and artistic leaders of organizations need to be involved. I actually believe strongly as donors. I think if you're asking other people for money, you've got to be a donor yourself, giving according to your means. I know that that throws up challenges for many organisations whose trustees have joined the board, often with the idea, I'm giving my time, not my money, uh, and it was perhaps not made clear to them. But I think as you recruit new trustees, I think you've got an opportunity to change that approach. So I believe very firmly that everybody has the capacity to give, and it should be (laughs) according to their means, and it's not a substitute uh, to say that I'm giving my time. But, in addition to being a donor they're there to introduce to ask, and above all to thank and I think the thanking is so often under uh, emphasized we look at the upstream business of asking and not enough emphasis given to the thanking the proper stewardship. I think that's something that Philip's going to touch on later this afternoon and when also you're looking at the robustness finally, have you really drilled down and made sure that there's a personal experience or association with the potential donor? Do you really understand where they're coming from in relation to your uh, proposition? So these are some final resources, which I hope will be of use to you. They're they're fairly recent ones. There's a really good research programme uh, run by DCMS in partnership with the Arts Council, Sports Council and others, um, which is bang up to date looking at what the um patterns of giving are and analyzing uh giving particularly across these different uh sectors philanthropy uk you may already read it um the spring issue uh this year was devoted to philanthropy and the arts it's a great resource about 40 pages long full of information case studies perspectives It came out, uh, and many of the contributors uh, are commenting on uh, the Secretary of State's 10-point plan, but it goes beyond that. Um, Mission Models Money is an initiative uh, that you may have encountered before. Their report, Capital Matters, takes a broad view about the capital needs in the arts, and I think it's a useful resource for thinking quite broadly about the funding of your organization. And finally, the best book, I've ever read about um, giving in the cultural sector is quite simply cultural giving by Teresa Lloyd, who is a consultant uh, and a a really great national authority. And this was the pulling together of a a, a lifetime of experience around the subject of cultural giving. (coughs) I was asked if I would address the question about trusts and foundations, um, and whether there was a pattern of them not supporting smaller organisations. It's very difficult actually for any one foundation to comment about broadly what others are doing. Trusts and foundations are like people actually, they have their own different personalities. You can put them into sort of groups. Um, For the purposes of this audience, um, there's clearly a difference between trusts like the Henry Moore Foundation, which you mentioned, uh, which really only support the cultural (coughs) sector, and organisations like my own, the Paul Hamlin Foundation, which supports equally education, very disadvantaged young people, and we also work overseas in India. So we have much more um, opportunity to move resources between different sectors if we want. Whether organisations like mine or foundations like Henry Moore, which concentrate on the arts, are moving to large organisations, I haven't come across that. That may be true of the Henry Moore, but my sense is that trusts and foundations... Uh, Look at the quality of the proposition and what they're looking at is normally the Impact on the people and communities. They're not necessarily thinking about it's a large organization or a small organization We're there to create public benefit for individuals and communities and so sometimes large organizations can be focusing on a small group and small organizations can also be doing something ambitious so I think we normally look through the organization Uh, rather and rather focus on what's actually happening on the ground i'm afraid i can't stay for the panel q a this afternoon but i'm going to be here over lunchtime and so if anybody wanted to ask me questions uh, or comment uh, on what i've said privately please come up and say hello and look forward to meeting you thank you very much Break into discussion yep. activity right okay we're breaking into discussion activity. I, I was asked to introduce that which I'm happy to do. Um, the, the task um, though it feels a bit odd um, for me to first to say this is what in, to do this within the groups on your tables and I think we've got about 20 minutes uh, the first task is what were the key learning points from the presentation? <laughs> but I think more importantly perhaps though please do ask, answer that question is actually to discuss amongst you, well, what are the implications for my organisation? What, what, how am I going to take this forward? What are some of the challenges? What are the opportunities? So really thinking about what are the implications for your organisation? And you've got about 20 minutes. Thank you. Thank you very much, Robert. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com. Forward slash Arts Council England.